There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need, no matter where you are in life. When you need coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help, on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery. Code Wondery. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast. I'm Matt Myra. Chris died. What? Oh, he's here. I'm here from beyond the grave. Oh, ghost Chris. I would hope that if I died that you would announce that better. What? No, I think that was really a good way to do it. Matt Myra, how was your vacation? Ah, uh, Chris, I napped. Played some What is golf. a nap? A nap. Is that something you do with the end cat? Napping. <laughs> nap so, so you're hard. sleeping with yeah. uh, a rainbow yeah, just, trail behind it was, you? It was just and you're, shooting and out of me. And your cat. Nap, nap, nap. That's what I was doing the whole time. Did you use a special nap on your phone? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just download the nap and it, it's, uh, it's real easy. It's free. I found out that uh, that you, that people can take what I guess is called uh, a vacation, yeah. where you actually don't something? do anything, Ugh. which is nuts. It was amazing, but I, we're gonna talk. We, we should talk yeah. more about our vacations. That we're gonna do another hostful this week. What? I don't believe you. It's true. Bullshit. It's not an empty promise, man. Uh, I promise you. I get a lot of those. <laughs> or now we're definitely going to do more <laughs> What did you do? Uh, when I was gone, I, well, let's see. We did the New York was fun. Yeah. Stayed there for a little while. And then uh, went home for a bit. Then went to Palm Springs. Oh. Had a good time over there. Took, that's where I napped. <laughs> uh, How did you nap next to John Mayer's giant new mega truck? It was hard to do because it was so loud. Miat uh, uh, Myra ran into <laughs> John Mears. Yep, I saw John Mears, and then I saw John Mears. John, John Mears, the naturalist? John Mears. <laughs> the, the naturalist John Mears would not buy a giant mega truck. Well, maybe he would because he'd get closer to nature. I guess. Just check out if you're uh, listening to this still somehow. God bless you, first of all. Second of all, go to John Mears' Instagram. Instagram and uh, look at his giant uh, truck that was parked outside of our hotel and then I didn't put it together until I was I saw John Mayer in the hotel and then uh, a couple days later Dory was looking at John Mayer's Instagram sure enough that was his truck so I'm sure when you saw that were you like who the fuck yeah would like, have such an that? obnoxious piece might, of No, my brain told me that it was obviously uh, a, 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 a former cattle rancher that had made it big <laughs> or a, or a drug lord who was like yeah, I was, it seemed like just like a guy who took RVing to the next level you know what it was it was uh it was a Beverly Hillbilly situation cattle rancher uh shoots at oil. the ground bubbling and crude. bubbling crude came up ah black gold Texas tea Texas tea uh Texas tea uh and so that's that's probably what you thought yeah Wow. That was a cattle rancher. This was like a mini hostful. You know what was fun is that, and we are going to be doing more hostfuls. Sure. I'm scheduling them, Myra. Oh my God, it's amazing. You know what was really fun on the podcast today was Wayne Knight. Oh, Nedry himself. 
That was he was great. He was a quite a talker with a very interesting life situation of the whole uh, private investigator thing. Don't spoil it. Oh God, guys. Uh, but yeah, it's actually pretty interesting. The whole thing. He was a good guy. When Knight is promoting the X's, which is Wednesday at 10:30 p.m. on TV Land. Whoa. Uh, so you should definitely. Watch that show. It's got all your favorites from previous sitcoms. Like Donald Faison. And, <laughs> and Nerdist Podcast. And uh, Kristen uh, Johnson. She's great. She, Kristen Johnson, yeah. Is she yeah, been on our podcast? No, she's not she been on the should. podcast. She should be on the podcast. She plays, in Austin Powers 2, she plays... Uh, uh, <laughs> I like to keep thinking of who she plays in things and can't remember the name. She has a fun cameo in Austin Powers, uh, The Spy Who Shagged Me. All right. Let's go look at it. Wayne Knight, Nerdist Podcast, number 620. Oh, thank God for our sponsor for bringing this episode to everybody. <laughs> Wait, you don't have to enter that. You don't have to enter Nerdist Podcast, number 620. No, I was just... You sounded like you were telling them to enter that promo code. They won't get a discount if they do that. That was called a you tight just, segue. You didn't... No, you made it just one thing. Guys... Matt, you're not going to fight with me in front of company. No. I'm sorry, guys. Just give me a second. Matt, Stand you just shut your mouth. Chris, you're, you're still dead. dead. You're still dead. dead. Oh, you're dead. Go back to the, to the other world. It's calling you. Go to the light. Not that light. That's my light. Now entering Nerdist.com. Sinewy shape. <laughs> I try to stay as sinewy as possible. Uh, which makes it really bad when it's super cold outside. Because, yes, and wet. And wet, because uh, I basically have the cold tolerance of a newborn chihuahua. But luckily you're wearing a hat. So I'm wearing a hat, so I can protect myself. Of your you know, we're just not... I, I know LA gets a lot of shit, because any kind of weather... Is uh, the city basically just folds in on itself? Like yes. this, the, the, everything starts to implode. And if it rained like this for more than a week, there would there would be martial law. Like we just don't really know how to process. Well, it. just wait till nuclear winter happens. It's going to be really <laughs> for shit here. Whoa, 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 whoa! We were just trying to deal with rain, uh, you know. But it. But I imagine th- driving a nuclear winter. Fuck! I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I shouldn't have looked directly at the explosion. I quit. I just I can't quit. Can't see anything. <laughs> but but you know we're just it's just because we're not used to this kind of weather. I mean this is basically like throwing a squirrel in a pond and being like you know and all the other all the fish watching just point and laugh at it. We're we're the squirrel in the I, pond. I, it's an interesting analogy, but one I won't use again. Uh, the, uh. The you know, someday you're going to use that analogy. <laughs> yes. And then the I would squirrel like... Squirrel in the pond analogy. Go squirrel in the pond. Would be when I win an Emmy, which will be never. No, that's not true. <laughs> you could totally win an Emmy. And, and, and when you do, and when you use the squirrel analogy, then I would like the apology. All right, very well. You were right. <laughs> it's a fair analogy to employ. Uh, it's really nice to have you here on the podcast. Well, thank you very we much. We were all big fans of yours. This is what happened? When, when did it end? No, it never ended. Uh. <laughs> it ended when you refused to use the squirrel analogy. Oh, up to that sorry. point. Okay. Up right. to that point. Um, uh, but Matt uh, is probably. Did you have you slobbered on Wayne? No, oh, not yet. I was easing into it. No. <laughs> Just, uh... Hey, it's raining. Go for it. Uh, well. <laughs> 
I won't even notice. <laughs> well, I constantly watch Seinfeld and Jurassic Park. The first loop. Jurassic Park. Like the Jurassic Park. The Jurassic yes, Park. None yes. of this none of this lost worlds or worlds or I don't understand. Threes. People constantly are asking me, like, are you coming back? <laughs> and I'm like Did the Dilophosaurus just make out with you in the I, Jeep? What happened? This sucker slobbered all over <laughs> me while eating me to death. Do you understand? <laughs> I, I, I I'm not coming back. I'm we didn't actually see your body, though. I said that, you know, numerous times. No one seemed to listen. No one picked that up. <laughs> I, and I thought, you know, big meal, small dinosaur. I come back as an amputee. Why not? Why not? Oh, you know, an eye all. patch and the thing. And the, uh... How about this? How about uh, somehow when their frog DNA, uh, when nature found a way, they something got and you transformed into a hybrid human dinosaur creature. Well, why don't we just, uh, like... Make a movie out of the red herring that was the can of Barbasol. Yeah. <laughs> what was the point in the can of Barbasol? There was none. The Barbasol, you know I mean? which deliberately we show it fall and get covered and, and in mud. And we see covered in mud and something's going to happen. I'm going to tell you something. The Barbasol was another example of big shaving cream yeah. coming into film. And trying to product well, 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 The other thing is, like, why don't we do, a, like, product placement on Ipana toothpaste? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> why Barbasol? I mean, why did you come up with Barbasol? How about, uh, how about Choward's uh, Violet Chewing Gum? Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, I mean or, or Blackjack or something like that. I, you know, I, I just I wrote a thing at the Nerdist channel. And I was over there writing YouTube videos for you. And I don't know if nothing ever happened with it. But I was we were going to have. You and uh, and uh, the guy uh, that gives you the Barbasol can, whose name I'm forgetting in the movie. What is his oh. name? Uh, yes. Oh, oh yes, and, and bad things happen to yes. him. Let's not and, talk about uh, that. And what I was going to have was uh, when you were saying, Dotson's here. We got Dotson. I was going to have a, a cut to somebody who goes, take the shot. <laughs> and just get a squib blows up, and you just finish the pie and go. <laughs> Oh, I'm was, sad that never got me. Yeah, a lot of there's a lot of good stuff out there that What's never got made. What's interesting to me is like uh, the people who died in, the, in in Jurassic Park died for cause. Yes, like uh, you know, like this guy is grotesquely fat. Kill him. <laughs> this man is black. We can't kill him, but he smokes. Okay, so we get rid of him. This guy's a lawyer. Good enough. People cheered in the theater when the lawyer got yeah, eaten. Yeah, yeah. People cheered. That was way better than my pitch of uh, Wayne Knight Rider. Where uh, oh, I watched that all day. Wayne too. Knight, basically, you as yourself, basically get Kit the car, and you basically just take him around on errands all day. I really don't think we need to stop at the container store again, Wayne. I know, but I'm trying to organize. And, like, basically, I need a new furnace. We got to go to Home Depot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hate the parking lot there. It's always full of people. Please don't eat in the car, Wayne. You know, what I'm oh, come on. <laughs> What was your what is your what's your background? Where did you where did you start? Did you start in comedy? Like was were you a, a live performer? And, and no, uh, well, in um, you know, sort of. I, I started out as an actor. I I, um, I went to from college to a regional theater, got an equity card, and went to New York. By twenty three, I was on Broadway. Oh my god! Uh, and I did that play for three years, and then I was unemployed. You know, because I was a fat character actor, and I thought, um, the world is my oyster. And then, you know, the play ended, and they was like, crickets. <laughs> there was nothing. I, I didn't have an agent. 
uh, when I got in the play. I didn't have any representation. I went and saw this play, and uh, I said, you know, I could play that part. I, I made up a resume. I handed it to the stage manager. I walked down the alley to the guy. Three months later, they called me in the audition. I got the part. Wow. No, when you made it, through, um, <laughs> did you wow. just write it in pencil? Pretty, pretty uh, much. I mean, no. I mean, I, 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 like at the bottom of my first resume was unafraid to consume new products. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I had absolutely no skills. Do you ride a horse? Perhaps. Perfect for Broadway. <laughs> Perfect for Broadway. Yes. Those horse operas on Broadway. But I mean, I'm a, the character was a a 16 year old guy who oh I had pimples and glasses and. Uh, I actually, uh, at that time, had to wear a fat suit in order to play the part. Tells you, times have changed. Um, but um, in any case, went from there and I did sketch comedy and did some comedy group stuff. Yeah. I used to go down to the Improv and Catch Rising Star and sit down front, laugh heartily, and have. And they say, Are "You a comic?" And I go, "No." I just didn't have the balls. You know, I mean, the thought of being out on the road and. Um, Getting my slot at you know two in the morning for people from Kansas, I just I didn't have enough drive to make it happen. So I did group stuff and always envied standups, um, you know, for their tenacity and mental illness uh, <laughs> and, and but, the desperate need for attention. Yeah, but you know, I mean, there was something about it, and I still feel, you know, it's just like uh, I had done the um, uh, comedians in cars getting coffee version of the commercial on the Super Bowl, that's as close as I'm going to get to being on that show. <laughs> because, uh, you know, Jerry has a respect for comedians and people who go through the life. And, right. And uh, I think there's a difference being a comic actor than, you know, facing in one in front of angry people. When you were going to catch and improv, what, what year was that and who were you seeing? Uh, let's see. I mean, Joe Piscopo was a host. Oh, my uh, God. Uh, Gilbert Gottfried was getting up and being thrown out. Uh, they were constantly throwing him. I've got another. You know, like, get him out. Get him out. Um, there's a guy, Gary Mule Deer. Yeah, of course. Say, you know, yeah. uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, Bob Shaw. Um, I mean, I'm just trying to think of the people who were in that uh, time. You know, uh, Belzer. '78, mm-hmm. '79. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. exactly right. That's the beginning. That was the sort of the. That was really when the New York. I mean, there was a thriving New York comedy scene in the '60s, but the the comedy boom, like the right. bubble, late '70s. You know, people are spending money. They're going out like stand up is a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a great time to be in New York. Yeah, and and it was like really you know uh, an exciting kind of thing. You know. I'd always been hanging around the carny, you know? It's like never really had the uh, uh, the balls to be a clown, but I enjoyed big shoes, uh, <laughs> you know? Because literally when I was a child, um, my first job in show business was as a shill for a carnival. Really? Uh, I, I grew up in uh, in a small town in Georgia, and at the base of the hill of where my house was, it was a vacant lot where they put up the James H. Drew Exposition, which is one of these traveling carnivals. And uh, I would ride my bike down there and just sneak in every day, you know. And the guy says, hey, kid, hey, kid, you want to help me out here? And I'm like, sure, you know. It's like, uh, <laughs> that was before Don't Talk to Strangers. Right. It was like, you know, you throw with the baseballs and knock over four uh, dolls. Yes. And it was the, the Beatles was here, B-E-E-T-L-E-S. And there right. were four mop top dolls. <laughs> and the guy had a springboard behind it that wouldn't allow you to knock down the fourth one. And when I would come by, he'd step on the thing that would release the the, the 
barrier and I throw it and knock the thing down and they'd ring a bell and they'd give me the teddy bear and I would walk around back and give it to his wife Rosa in the trailer in the back. I never won the teddy bear. Oh I just I just would you know shill for them like eight times a day. You know like here's another fine winner here at Tony's you know Oh oh if that kid did it I guess I could do yeah, it. Yeah yeah and I thought this is it. This is what I want to do. Shill. <laughs> so I went into network television. Yes, which is exactly <laughs> Yes. And, and and then at the end of every taping you take the teddy bear back into the office. Yes, that's there right. You go. That's Very right. similar. Wayne, yeah. we need the teddy bear back. <laughs> no, no, I'm just going to my dressing room. Come on. Nope, we need the teddy bear. God damn it. Did, what, what were they paying you, or was it just free admission to the... What? Did, did I need to be paid? It was the proximity to the wonderment that was the carnival. I remember, like, all of the things... There was a, a thing the, called the glass house, which is like a, mirror, like a trailer with mirrors in it, you right. know? The glass house, the glass house. We show you the way in, you find the way out. We show you the way in, you find the way out. Ma, ma, bring pa. Pa, bring the kids to the old glass house. So I, I, I'm hanging around there, and then they have this other thing that says, Killer Rats from Paris. Killer Rats from Paris. Living in the bilious sewers of Paris. They're armored for their protection from the horrors of the sewers of Paris. Killer Rats from Paris. You get there, there's an armadillo in a cage. <laughs> and, Which, by the but, way, is also kind of exotic. Like the yeah, yeah, but like... in Georgia, nobody's seen an armadillo. So to them, look at that damn killer rat, you know <laughs> Armored for their Them rats got armor in France. Wow. <laughs> That's incredible. I mean, is there there are a few better branding operations than a carnival. To basically yeah. just take a room with some mirror, <laughs> mirrors in it and a fucking armadillo they probably found in Texas. Yeah, and they turned it into, you know, like magic. It's magic. All you need is somebody talking about it. And getting a couple of rubes to walk in just once. Well, that I think that that is a pretty valuable thing to learn as a young performer wannabe because you're basically learning that that the importance, uh, the way to connect with people is just through a story. And it doesn't matter what the product is as right. long as the story around it is good. Yeah, and let them feel like they're discovering something that they haven't discovered before. And what made you not run away with the circus? Um, well, you know what, the, the, the people uh, in the carnival would use the um, uh, municipal local pool as a big bathtub, oh. and uh, <laughs> they were somewhat less than savory. Sure. So uh, I, I was around them for a while, and I'm going, you know... I once rode in a cab with a guy who smelled like this. I don't want to, nah, nah, you know. Your parents was, like, uh, Wayne, your new friends just shit in the living room. Yeah, and I was young and uh, pretty much scared of everything. So sure. I, I don't think that that was going to happen for me. Uh, but I did eventually run away to New York, you know, uh, with my friends and uh, work as a waiter and audition for terrible things and and then I, I I got a job as a private investigator, which was the other side of it. Wait, uh, hang on a second. <clears throat> you got a job as an actual private investigator? I worked as a PI in New York for five years. Wow. Uh, you know, as a survival job. Because I'd been on Broadway, and then I crapped out. And I'm like, Jesus, I, I'm not going to go back to waiting tables. And I had a friend who said, uh, you know, I can get you a job at this PI agency. I said, you're not, you're not a cop. You're not in criminology. You don't have any background. Go, That's right. <laughs> I said, well, why would they hire you? And more importantly, why would they hire me? And he says, well, they like actors because actors aren't upwardly mobile. They're usually conversant. They are more than willing to misrepresent themselves, and they have no scruples. I said, That's true. <laughs> so... 
I had no idea of this actor PI connection. So what was so, that like for you? Like, uh, well, I mean, uh, a lot of phone work. I did background checks on people. I did background checks on people in venture capitalists, nuclear plants. I followed people into Red Hook, uh, Brooklyn. Uh, you know, I, I did a couple of surveillance things and marital things uh-huh. and stuff like that. But at the time, I, I had a, a very high opinion of myself. I had done a Butcher's Blend dog food commercial. I said, they're going to recognize me. <laughs> <laughs> I can just I be a voice. I can't follow these people. They'll turn around and say, aren't you the Butcher's Blend guy? You know? Say, why is my dog barking at you? must <laughs> like, recognize you from something. <laughs> that's the perfect cover. You could go, yes, I am the Butcher's Blend guy. Thanks yeah, for I right. wouldn't be following you. Of course, I when I have all the dog food I can eat. I have this teddy bear I need to return. (laughs) I'm a millionaire. Oh, no, from the commercial. I'm a thousandaire. (laughs) Yes, I'm a hundredaire. (laughs) I don't need this. Just uh, sign here and pose for this picture. Did so you how saw- would you do? How, I'm, I'm fascinated by this. Please. How would you do a background check before computers? You know, it is unbelievable because we had a room full of phone books. Uh, 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 there, there was what like, if that's what the Google server is? It is. Four <laughs> guys in a room. Full. A room like this with with phone books to the ceiling, and you're like, you're like, do you have a, a Biloxi? I need a Biloxi. No, no, not an 81. I need an 82. You know, you're like, <laughs> and then you make these calls. There was nothing called Cole's Directory. You uh-huh. call Cole's Directory and you'd say, you know, I need a reverse on this phone number. And they give you an address. And then you get the nearbys to two people on either side of that. And then you call one of those people and say that you were the cousin to one of the people in that apartment or house and you been locked out they were supposed to leave the key under the mat and they didn't and uh, do you know where they work do you know where they are (laughs) and then you call their work and then you call their supervisor and you check their employment you say how are they as a worker you know i always wondered you know how uncle fred is and uh i i i did one on this guy was trying to get a job at a nuclear plant as a startup engineer and um you know one of his references said well you you know about the, uh, the hospital thing, but it really wasn't that bad. And I'm like, hospital thing? So the next reference, I said, look, we know about the hospital. Uh, you might as well tell me more about it because it's just going to stop him from having this job. And he goes, well, you know, I mean, depression can happen to anyone. You know, I go, yes, that's true. And then the third one, I said, well, I know he was in for depression, but how badly? Was it? And, oh, I said, well, wow. the, and they go, well, the shock treatments only lasted for, you know, and you go, well, you're not going to be working at my nuclear plant. I don't think, <laughs> pal. Maybe, maybe not. So then I called the nuclear plant and I told them, look, we found out that the guy was having shock treatments just last year or whatever. And they were like, thank you. Thank you for saving me from, you know, hiring this guy. And I thought, well, I'm a killer. I've killed this man. That's fantastic. Well, he's going to go back and get more shock treatments. Wow. And then, of course, I got a call from the guy. And he's like, who are you, headhunters? Thank God you're calling because, you know, I haven't worked in a year. And I thought my family was just going to leave me. And I'm I'm like, Uh, last known job, lightning rod. Yeah, you know, (laughs) so I was like, hmm, that's so good. Kind of not feel good. But what a great improv game you're playing. I know, I know, I know. Basically. Transformation of career. (laughs) (laughs) But, but, But real time, real time improvised dialogue with people. Totally improvised. And, and where there are stakes. Well, look, I, and I was talking to admirals, and I'm, I'm talking to, like, you know, practically heads of state, and, and, and I, I would say things like, well, as you know, I mean, uh, an atomic collider is never going to be able to control the heat problem. 
And he would say, well, yes, that's true. And then he would go on and, you know, so you learn how to improv some kind of segue that sounds like you've had some education. So is wow. that the best way to get people to talk? Uh, yeah, pretty much um, flatter uh, and then leave a gap. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're very good at telling these stories, so. Yeah, well. Guys, stop with the gap. <laughs> I just gave you a gap and you didn't fill it. Yeah, I've learned. <laughs> yeah, but mind the gap. I've been naked. Mind the gap. Mind the gap. It's perfect. <laughs> the Wayne Knight story for private investigating. You have you not written about this before or anything? It's well, really fascinating. Uh, one of the things I mean, I kept trying to pitch a show about it, um, and and what, ironically, people go, no, we don't like PIs. What? You have like a thousand shows about doctors and PIs. That's eh, over. We're not doing that anymore. And the idea was the guy who trains the actors to be, you know, uh, um, PIs. Yeah. Because the guy who trained me was like a kind of a strange man whose brain had boiled. Um, he had uh, had whatever that, some form of encephalitis oh, okay. where his brain reached a temperature where it ceases to be a brain usually, but right. for him it kept going. Oh. <clears throat> and he would say things like, he'd look at you and go, hot dang, y'all. That's cowboy talk. <laughs> what the hell are you talking about, Henry? No. <laughs> I don't know what you're no. talking about. And he goes, like, keep your $10,000. I want my bicycle. <laughs> oh, oh. No, this was basically his brain was just an ash pile. Of, yes, just yes. a few little things firing. And he was the one training me how to be a PI. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I went back to acting. Wow. <laughs> but it, so, so far the pattern is you basically, that's twice that you've shilled. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it, like, it just, that just continued. Yes. Uh, uh, you know, it, it's... Uh, and then I, uh, you know, went into commercial chilling, and you know, it's just the same kind. Of, this is really good. Yeah, you know, it's like it's the same. It's an acceptable. Do you think acting is an acceptable form of lying? Um, it's barely acceptable. <laughs> I, I, I mean, uh, I, I still think that actors are considered, you know, uh, people who we really don't like but worship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is strange <laughs> that we we do worship them but also like to look down on them at the same time we're waiting for them to slip on the banana peel so we can kill them yeah <laughs> well because maybe it's that sort that's of that's why thing. tmz is so big it's like look let's kill one yeah i mean it is it is like a weird it is like a weird game hunting kind of a thing i wonder if that's because Maybe there's something about like, well, if you kill, if if you if you destroy the your idol, you absorb their essence and their power. Like maybe there's some sort of. I think I I, I think we secretly want them to be no better or different than we are, but we want fame. Sure. I mean, what we what it's come down to is that is the currency of the United States is not money anymore. It's momentary fame. Uh, I wonder what people think is happens. When that comes along, I mean, like, what you is become it? a Kardashian and you you get terribly wealthy for no apparent reason and have a larger butt. <laughs> <laughs> just those two things. Just those two things. I just want wealth and I butt. a bigger butt. I like yeah, a bigger butt and some money. Yeah, that's all. That's I, I, I guess. Well, I mean, you know, there must be. There, obviously, there's a biological need for us to um, uh, to ascend the ranks of our immediate uh, community. I guess for. I mean, there must be a biological reason for status. I mean, that's the, the entire idea. For me, when I started out, um, 
I remember I, I had um, auditioned, you know, I was in a speech class in high school, and the guy said, you ought to audition for the uh, local theater. The dramaturgs are doing a production of Send Me No Flowers, and there's a role of a cleaning boy. You know? <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I went to audition for that thing, and I noticed that there were all these people sitting on each other's laps, um, women sitting on men's laps, men that they were not married to. Sure. And they were married. Yeah. And I thought... I like this. <laughs> I like this a lot. <laughs> you know, the, and um, in rehearsing at the Atco Playhouse where this was going on, there was this girl from a rival school who I was helping get a prop down from some shelf. She turned and we wound up kissing. <gasps> and I was like, first time. And I said, this is it. Mm-hmm. I can get laid doing this. <laughs> and maybe this is the only thing I can get laid doing. I think you can fuck a lot of circus people, I'm going to be honest. Yeah, maybe. You could have done that. Yeah, but, you know, uh, bearded people. Uh, and <laughs> I would, no offense. No, no, I'm not taking You know, I mean, I don't have any problem with the fact that you have a beard. Uh, but luckily you also have a penis. I, I would assume. Oh, thank God. Anyway. It's still there. Well, yeah. We've never seen it, though. So I can't prove its existence. Uh, no, uh, uh, we haven't? No. Oh. No. No, Pixar didn't happen. Dick, <laughs> Dick Pixar didn't happen, Matt. Dick Pixar, but it, but exist. but it is. But I guess when you are when you're when you're young and and what what was your what was your dynamic like in school? Was I a good uh, student or anything? Or what do you were, mean? Uh, yeah, were you a good student? Were you what a popular you? boy? What, or no? Well, I was popular, but for no apparent reason. <laughs> uh, I MT mean, fame. Well, you know, because I I was uh, you know a fat kid and. Uh, and smart, and I'd skipped the grade, so I was a young fat kid, um, but I was uh, snide and would make jokes at teachers' expenses and get thrown out. Mm-hmm. And, Plus, uh, you're the only guy in the county that can knock down all four bottles. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, and I would join any club. And try to become the president of that club. Uh, for, for no apparent reason. I became, kind of the opposite of the Groucho Marx theory. I became president of the Mechanical Drawing Club, and I didn't know anything about mechanical drawing. I had never even been. I've never even mechanically drawn. But why not? Why not me? And so once you became the president of the Mechanical Drawing Club, did you have any responsibilities? Or you were like, I got what I wanted. Fuck off, you guys. Well, there aren't a lot of responsibilities for the president of that club. You know, it's like, make sure the pencils are sharp. What do you do? I mean, there's not a lot to do. You know, it's like, uh, like uh, don't hurt anyone with the protractor. I, I don't know. You know what I mean? I like that this is sort of like, uh, I, I like this empty overachiever thing. Where it's like, I want to get all these titles. But what I had was in, in the, in the uh, yearbook, just photo after photo of, of like, President Wayne Knight, President Wayne Knight, President Wayne Knight. I was the president of a club called the Mystic Knights. Uh, uh, we, they renovated a Jeep. <laughs> that I was it. Nothing, yeah, I knew nothing about it. I, I, I did that. I was president of the math club, one of the worst, worst math students imaginable because nobody wanted it. I would like go to the clubs that people didn't want. You know, you got a doily club, I'm in. You know, it's like <laughs> I don't care. I don't care what it is. Elect me. And uh, and did this? So this sort of elevated your status in school then. And then when I when when the acting started, uh, people said, you know, because uh, one of the good things about being uh, a young fat kid is you look about thirty years older than you are. <laughs> preach, so, brother, preach. So. <laughs> <laughs> so put a little white in your hair and like shit, you're middle aged. <laughs> then you can buy beer for people. Yeah, I was 15. You know, like uh, middle aged. I mean, 
but but playing middle-aged characters in plays and stuff like this shit is believable yeah <laughs> that's amazing that's amazing so so you get to new york and you're working as a waiter and then you audition for this play and you're in this play for three years yeah do you have an agent at this time or do you i went to an agent and i said um look uh, you know i just landed this broadway show and i'd like for you to negotiate it and he goes what show is it I said uh, gemini and i said I've seen it. Well, you haven't seen it with me because I'm not going again. Oh. I said, what do you mean you're not going again? He says, if you're in another show, you know, give me a call. I said, if I get in another Broadway show, <laughs> what am I going to get in another Broadway show? Lightning has struck. Now is the time. Buy my stock now. I'm going up. You know, nothing. So I wound up with an agency that handled children, dogs, and athletes. That uh, literally... And they couldn't decide, you know, like, what category should we put him in? You know, he's kind of a frisky puppy kind of thing. Uh, (laughs) Can you do anything athletic? No. You're young. You know, it's like, uh. so there was nothing. That's why I was in the plane for three years. I couldn't couldn't leave. There was no place I could go. Um, That's why you need to start doing background checks on people. When that guy's like, I'm not coming to see your play. Really? Do you think your wife would like to know about this girl that you've been seeing up to? It was so depressing, that. But there was a guy in the... um, in the play with me, who had an agent, and Kathleen Turner was in the play at the time. Um, and she had um, come off the doctors, and she was. This was before uh, Body Heat, and okay. uh, she was on her way to to do Body Heat. And she had an agent who was also going to be later her boyfriend, and uh, and I chased after him, and he was my first big time agent. Kathleen Turner's manager, a agent boyfriend. Yeah. How was Kathleen Turner in the uh, uh, to work with? Darling, darling, <laughs> she was wonderful. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> was she mildly British back then? Or She's that- always been mildly British, <laughs> but from Missouri, I think. Uh, but um, you know, she was. What's interesting is, you know, you meet people um, who believe in themselves to a degree that something good is going to happen to them, and you either envy or dislike them. For their confidence, mm-hmm. and but it works. Yeah, I think that because I think a lot of people worry, like, "Oh, I don't want people to think that I'm full of myself or think that I've got." But then other people are like, "Man, I don't really give a shit what other people think. This is what I'm going to do." Like that. Yeah, that and they pure and they, focus, and they do it. You know, they just because they don't think there's anything wrong with the idea of them leading a film or them, you know, going off and doing, you know, climbing a mountain, and so they do. And you go, what? How did? What made you think you could do that? You know? Did you have that kind of confidence? Shit, no. No, no. Mm-hmm. I did in terms of, um, yeah, I guess I did. Because I mean, walking into that audition and whatever, I felt like this is mine. You know, I'm going to take this. And I, I had unreasonable confidence about certain things, but I, I wouldn't say go to audition for Juilliard or something like that. Because I was afraid that they would laugh me out and throw me out. Mm-hmm. But I would audition for a part that somebody from Juilliard was also auditioning for. Sure. Thinking I could beat them for that part. Right. But I would not be accepted by anybody real. You so know, are, um, you, are you – you must be a good auditioner then. Um, I, you know, not for years. I, I mean, I, I, um, uh, I'm a good auditioner, but uh, usually I get another part than the one I'm auditioning for. Hmm. Really? I recently went in and auditioned for the Coen Brothers, and they're like, "This is you." <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it turned out being a different part, um, and I don't know why, but um, I think uh, 
How do you prepare to audition for the Coen Brothers? Now, I know you've been working for a very long time, but that is like auditioning for Juilliard. Yeah. No, you know, there is a certain thing about that. But, I mean, I've I've had these auditions for people in the past uh, that I – like uh, Oliver Stone and people, you know. Sure. <clears throat> and uh, I went in to audition for Oliver Stone and, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, thank you. Coughing always good on the air. <laughs> um, here, let me push the button. No, <laughs> no we're in just oh, a we room. don't have a button. You're just touching oh, the desk right. with your finger. I know, I know. Yeah, there's no. Um, but I went in and uh, it was uh, Risa Brayman and Billy Hopkins were the uh, casting directors and they, they pulled me aside and they said, don't do anything actory. Nothing actory. Oliver hates actory. Don't be actory. I'm like, what did they think I was going to do? You know, How do you do? You know, it's like, what, what the hell was I going to do? I never understood that. Oliver, you look marvelous. <laughs> Before I begin, I'm going to do some breathing exercises <laughs> yeah. and movement. You know, so uh, usually uh, my, my uh, philosophy on auditioning is get in, do it, and leave as quickly as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. Try not to say goodbye. Say, oh, I left something outside, and then don't come back. <laughs> Is that a leave them wanting more kind of a thing? No, just leave them. Just leave them. Because <laughs> yeah. if it worked, it worked, and if it didn't, there's nothing you're going to do that's going to make it better. But I just want, and I really th- I think you're, it's been a wonderful. Because they're busy, and yeah, they gotta, and they they're, they're just they, trying to, they're just trying to move on. Yeah, and they want you to leave. Well, when did you start, when did you really start? Working. When did you start to feel the momentum happen? Um, actually, um, I had a um, uh, a moment which was a, a kind. Of, there were two catalysts. One is um, I had gone off and done a sketch comedy show in England um, uh, with Emma Thompson and William Sadler. Oh wow! A, yeah, I know William Sadler, uh, who you wouldn't think of as a comedy beast, but he was he was funny. He you played know? Death in Bill and Ted's Bogus that, Journey, and he true. was really great at he it. He was really funny at it, but usually he plays guys who's stripping the skin off somebody. Right, you know? right, right. <clears throat> but um, so. Uh, I had gone off and done that and then come back and nothing was happening and, you know, uh, made friends with Emma. And Emma later was going to be doing Dead Again uh, mm-hmm. with her then-husband, Ken Branagh, and said, right. there's a part in this for you. Um, would you want to do it? And I'm like, yes. And then by going out to L.A. to shoot that, and he was hot at the time, if a director says yes to you, then other people are willing to see you. And then suddenly I started having auditions with other big directors because I was in a film that a big director was doing. Right. And um, then land, you, know, you book one or two of those, and the next thing you know, there is a little bit of a role going. And as long as you keep that role going, you're fine. And if you don't, it just was an anomaly. And um, you know, so it was half and half for me. But the, the other uh, big moment was... I'm walking across the street in New York. I had done Ishtar, one of the world's you know worst films, is, is proclaimed to be, and also Dirty Dancing, and both of those had Jack Weston in them. <clears throat> and I'd spent time with Jack, and Jack. I don't know if anybody remembers Jack Weston, but he was like that, and he was like, "Oh, kid, you're great. Pass the drink." <laughs> uh, and uh, so I'm walking across Fifth Avenue, and I bump into Jack. And goes, Wayne, hell, how are you? What are you doing? Listen. I'm in this play, and I got to go off and do this movie, and I got to leave the play, but why don't I get you an audition for it? And he was at Lincoln Center doing uh, Measure for Measure, mm. Shakespeare. And I'm like, okay. And I went and auditioned for, for that and got it and replaced him in that. 
And that led the casting people for that were the casting people for Oliver Stone. And so I had auditioned through them for Oliver Stone, got the Oliver Stone movie, which then leads to um, Paul Verhoeven and Basic Instinct, which then Spielberg sees me in Basic Instinct and casts me in Jurassic. Wow. Uh, and this all comes from Crossing the Street. That's Fifth incredible. Avenue. But it, 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 it technically does come from Crossing the Street. But I mean, you got to deliver in a lot of jazz. Of course. Right? Well, th- but that's a lot of jazz. I mean, like you, you, I, my, my feeling is that if you were that consistent, there was going to be some other weird break. You know, like anyone can. It also helps to be, you know, gigantically fat and someone who might die at any moment. You know what I mean? <laughs> People go, look, he's going to blow. Cast him. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anyone says that. Well, I don't know. The assurance adjuster sure doesn't. <laughs> well, that's true. No, I don't, oh, no, look, I, I, when I was in England, you know, like trying to get uh, insured for the, um, for the series, um, there was a, uh, the doctor was a, a humpback. Uh, or hunchback, depending on how you look at it, <laughs> who smoked cigarettes through a holder. And so, because it looked like there was a chimney above his head, because the holder would you be. You do realize you're describing the penguin. Yes. You should cut down on your triglycerides. So he said, perhaps you would care for a smoke. It might relax you. And I'm like, no, I don't think so. So he had me lay down on a table and put my hands in, in warm water. And, I, I th- and he says, is this to lower my blood pressure? He says, no, I'm going to make you pee. Said, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> he was trying to bring my blood pressure down. And he did it. You know, I've somehow he got my blood pressure just low enough that they could cast me. You know? oh, <laughs> you know? wow. oh, so he was like, <laughs> that Cobblepot's a genius. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Cobblepot. That's, uh, well, and, but it's... And that doesn't – did that make you go like, oh, maybe – I don't know. Does that – are you comfortable with that? Were you comfortable with that process? Well, you mean as opposed to what? Like, like maybe I should lose 50 pounds by tomorrow <laughs> or put my hands in hot water. I think I'll put my hands in the hot water and take the gig. Thank you very much. And uh, which was this – which gig was that? No, this was uh, the uh, a sketch comedy series, which was called Assaulted Nuts. Oh, that sounds really familiar. I don't think it does. No, it, I mean, as a person who oh, who's was obsessed under- with comedy. Right. And- it was uh, myself, uh, a guy named Daniel Peacock. Uh, th- there were three Brits, three Americans. And uh, it was one of the first shows on Cinemax over here and one of the first shows on Channel 4 in Britain. Channel 4 just started. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we were like cutting new ground, you know. Mixing British humor and American humor, and we sank somewhere in the ocean. Because truthfully, they don't blend, right? You know, in a, in a real way. Right. I mean, one is wordplay and silliness, and r- rather intelligent, and the other is more kind of down and dirty. I mean, right. uh, and and they didn't quite marry. But uh, it was an interesting time. I mean, I got to go off to England and do a, a sketch comedy show that nobody knew I was doing. We really do not speak the same comedy language. Uh-uh. I mean, there there are there are bits. Otherwise, of Billy Connolly would not be able to walk the streets in in America, and nobody bothers him at all. Right, right, you know? right. I mean, there's and there's he's a god in in the rest of the English speaking. Well, world. those big head of the class fans, they still. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> I hated that Howard Esman. <laughs> Thanks for coming in. <laughs> this uh, jumping to all these amazing. Directors, is it? Are you kind of are you processing it as it's happening? Like, oh, this is really this is this is different. 
Well, interestingly enough, it stopped happening just as soon as Seinfeld began. Um, really? Well, I think that um, once you become iconic, it's rather hard to disappear into a film in the same fashion that you would, you know, as a as a because I'm, so they'd want to cast Newman. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to be, you know, I'm a character actor, so you want me to be that guy, whoever you, you know, the guy who. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, oh, there's Newman doing that guy. Right. Uh, right. You know, so that it's different if you're headlining something than I, I think than if you're fleshing out the people around the lead. You know, um, you need to be more real. How many episodes of Seinfeld is Newman in? It feels know, like a shit ton. But there I were a lot I'm of them, thinking but I don't it's know. more than it actually is because the I character think so. is you so. Know, uh, people mention them and stuff. But I mean, I, I think that that's like you think there are more jalapenos in that right. in that chili than there yeah. are. Yeah, there's just one, but you know, it's <laughs> well, still it's a hot. very powerful chili. Do you yeah, have an answer, yeah, yeah. Katie? <laughs> Katie, look it up. How many episodes? Who was the most? Make intriguing, sure he's getting the right residuals. Who was the most intriguing director that you worked with? Um, I think uh, Gus Van Zandt. Um. Just because he um, didn't say a lot, but he kind of intuited what he needed to say to get out of you what he wanted, and uh, and it was um, it was a very comfortable experience. Um, I was af- I was afraid of most people I worked with because I'm I'm afraid of you right now <laughs> uh, because you were holding that red mic. I am holding a red mic. My army. Uh, I was also wearing shorts and a cabbie hat. But but now Oliver, you know Stone, I I, I feared him and with good reason. Um, um, Spielberg was very nice to me, but you know at the same time, you realize that you're dealing with Patton and there's an army standing behind him, and he goes, "Let's move over there," and, and the whole the right. army moves there. You know, I mean, it's so it's a big deal. Um, you know. Um, Verhoeven was very strange, and um, I went into audition for him, and um, he had a video camera uh, up. On, on when I opened the door, he's like, "Got the camera on me." Oh, on hello, and so you know, it's like, "Oh, we're doing porn," uh, <laughs> and I, I eventually will take clothes off, and I don't know why. <laughs> I'm just doing and it. Somebody's going to make me take my clothes off. Just do and, it. In some ways, he did. Uh, I mean, he, he says that. Now imagine you're looking at her. You're looking. You're looking. Looking, I'm thinking, yeah, I'm looking, and he goes, maybe you give a lick with your tongue, maybe a lick, just like a yeah, like a lick, do a lick, <laughs> give a lick. So I give the lick, and he goes, yeah, 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 maybe two licks, maybe lick, lick, maybe go like lick, lick, two licks. I go lick, lick, yeah, 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 maybe three, maybe three licks, maybe lick, 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 and I do lick, 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 and he goes, no, too many licks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to take my penis out and let's see what happens. <laughs> now I ask you, let's watch this VHS of RoboCop. <laughs> I mean, when you're making Jurassic Park, which, by the way, completely holds up 100%. Yeah. 100%, the effect, like the movie completely holds up. It's amazing, isn't it? It I mean, really when is. When you consider the fact that, uh, and ironically, the guy who shot me in the face with dyed black, KY jelly mm-hmm. through an air rifle lives across the street from me. Oh, oh yeah, really? got a nicer house than I do. That guy <laughs> drives me crazy. Uh, I, I see him every Christmas and Halloween. We're out decorating the guy. Hi, how are you? 
<laughs> but uh, the you know I, I remember that there were the Velociraptors were kind of like in a sitting down below where we're doing the control room and they're like waiting to be used puppets because this is Stan Winston and the puppetry thing. And um, the thing that got me, the, the, you know, Dilophosaurus is, is a puppet. And uh, they built a false floor and then people underneath operators operating it, operating its head, its mouth and everything. And all of that holds up. It's not CGI. You know, I mean, it's old-fashioned, down and dirty, and it looks like you're acting with somebody. Yeah. Because it has, he was very, very uh, clever about the nuances of movement. Like when it would look at me and be confused or curious and tilting his head and looking one eye and all that kind of stuff. And that's all like great puppetry. But the CG in the movie still holds up too, which is yeah, pretty yeah, remarkable, yeah. considering that. I mean, I think that's it's one of the reasons why. I have such a low tolerance for bad CG. It's like, first of all, yeah, you know, in you the early nineties, yeah, in ninety two they did it, and now you can do, you can basically do it on your phone, you know. Mm. Like, well, I remember when Video Toaster came the in, the Video Toaster, uh, yes, you know, and, and you're seeing sci fi shows that were done in an afternoon, you know. I mean, they're doing like um, not Battlestar, but I mean, uh, I'm trying to think what shows before that were done Video Toaster, the. Um, well, there's like Babylon Five. Yeah, I think Babylon Five was a video. That was video toaster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Very shitty starships. Well, because you would see that you could see the wireframe underneath the shapes. You know, um, I never, I never liked it. And then I, but like, and that's, and then you go back to like Star Trek and like why that worked because ILM did the effects in the first season. They built those models. They're physical existing models. Well, so now what? What about the uh, uh, the trailer? What's your thought on the trailer? I actually just watched uh, in the writers' room here over at, at midnight. We just watched a side by side of the Jurassic World trailer and Jurassic Park. Right. And they found they just put together shots. Every shot from Jurassic World is a shot in oh, Jurassic yeah. Park. <clears throat> sure. It's amazing. Like Why just not steal from the best. Yeah. Steal from yourself. <laughs> you know? I mean. So for some reason that got me more excited to see Jurassic World. I was like, oh, okay, I can. I could enjoy that, but I can't. I, 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 I'm looking forward to it. Well, I was thinking about the trailer for Star Wars. Is the uh, the the other world? Oh, that trailer, trailer. That trailer. The thing with that trailer was the the fan made videos now are so good. Like these fan right, like right, Star right. Wars movies that like watching. I personally that trailer, prefer Lego. Yeah, I don't know. Of course, of course. But watching the Star Wars trailer, it just the whole time for me felt like some kid did this at home on on Final Cut and Avid. Like, that's what it felt like watching. Because the effects are so... Effects at home now are so good. Wow. That these kids are, like, doing this stuff online. And then, like, when you watch this... I was like, well... Oh, anyone can do that now. Yeah. It's been that on YouTube. You but know I, what anyone can't do? Put Harrison Ford on the screen. Show me that. <laughs> no, it was just a teaser. <clears throat> I know. I'm telling you, it was just a teaser. They can't, they can't blow the Han Solo load now. Like, there's a year before the movie comes out. The they Han have Solo. to seed... But they I can't mean, on the Han Solo. J.J. Abrams can cast... Which is a good thing. Yeah, I am. Oh, I'm actually did a great job with Star Trek. I'm. Great I'm actually. Job. I'm actually very much looking forward to yes. it. I mean, I don't. I'm not like. I'm not like the. I mean, I don't. I want to like things. I don't yeah, want yeah. to not like them, and I don't go into things when like I'm not this like going. This is probably going to suck. Like, hey, because what if it doesn't? What if it's great? But you know, the conversation I had with a friend of mine last night, who's uh, an insane, insane Star Wars fanatic, is uh, look. We have to admit to ourselves that nothing is 
there we're not we don't get a lot of first experiences. Right. The first time you saw Star Wars, you were young, you were impressionable. It was unlike anything you had seen. It, completely- it was at Lowe's State in New York. I mean, I, I remember like lining up and going in there, and you know, just like it was because I, mean, I was in New York doing that play. You know, yeah. it was like '77. Uh, I think it was '77. Yeah, and, and um, it was like man. You know, I, I, you you just knew that you were in a transformative kind of like we're going to have Saturday morning cereals. They're back. <laughs> I never had them. I, I I heard about them. Now we get them. You know, and we get to have that kind of excitement. Jurassic Park was was a very similar experience. Yeah. That that was another movie that sort of widened the birth of oh this is possible now. This is you can do that now, and it. It was a different kind of story and a, and a new way to 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 do it and and it was it was a very very much the same kind of thing. But we don't. I don't think the older you get, the less of those shocking new experiences you get. So well, I'm, because they can't. I mean, look, I'm I'm watching Gravity and thinking, my God, I'm living this experience and I don't care, right? Because I've been there, mm. you know. And, and even though this is done so beautifully well, that. It's not the first time you've had that experience. The the thing about Jurassic that made it so exciting was, you know, oh my god, I'm looking at, you know, dinosaurs. Right. It's like it's real. It, it looks real. I really feel like I'm there. I'm, you know, and I think that kind of verisimilitude is not enough anymore. You need something else. You need you need I mean for a movie theater experience, you got to go to the next step. What is the next step? Smell-o-vision? <laughs> Earthquake the movie again with the rumbling seat? Well, what? no one's really even perfected 3D yet. So 3D is... is but well, 3D kind of blows. And, and uh, people have been trying to make us... But you, when I was a kid, we had 3D. Of course. And it blew then. <laughs> it, was just, it was just a way to get more ticket price. And you did... You, you know, you the, the, uh. yeah, the thing from uh, SCTV. I mean... Uh, D- yeah, and, and I remember like seeing a hot dog. I remember seeing the spider in 3D at the at the Grand Theater in uh, in Cartersville, Georgia, and um, it was on a double bill with The Fly, you know. And then we had one other film where uh, this the guy would burst through the screen. There's a guy on the screen, and he's like, "I'm coming to get you!" And then, like, <laughs> then the screen literally would split, and a guy would walk through the screen, go grab a girl from the first row of the audience, and ah, she'd scream. He'd pick her up, and he would walk back in the screen. God damn it! Why don't they do that? In my, they should do. I feel like the arc light would do that if anyone would do that. Why not? Instead of those stupid fucking speeches. Pardon me, uh, but uh, in any case, you know, do we need a curtain speech? No, grab somebody from the audience. <laughs> Make my life worthwhile for once, you know? I don't need another five minutes of, you know, somebody dressed just like me. Okay, fine. No, uh, but, but but I was telling my I was telling this guy that, you know, we have to be – you you have to kind of go into this experience knowing that it's impossible to match that first time you saw it. Yeah. So as long as you know that, you can still appreciate it and go, hey, this was great. I want I want to like it. I want to I want to have a fun experience. I don't want to go in and, and be cranky about it, it. Nor will it diminish your experience that you had. Of course. That's but I mean, look, there. it's like if you look at Gone with the Wind, you know, and like uh and this is the first elaborate use of matte paintings. You know, where you're like, it looks like the burning of Atlanta. You right. know, I mean, and it's matte paintings and and you know, uh, so that was technologically in 1939, the equivalent of what happened with Jurassic in 92. 
Um, but we didn't get that again for a Holy long shit. time. That was 92? 92. Yeah. Yeah, 22 years ago. Was it really 92? Yeah, 92. Yeah. No. Yes. It was 93. It was ni- no, it was, ni- it was 93. It came, it came out, out in 93? 93. You were making it. I shot it in 92. It came I out thought it was 92 90. as well. No, because I remember being 10 years old when it came out. I thought I was in college. When I, and I also remember getting kicked out of a movie theater for not being 13. Because <laughs> it was PG-13. Oh. And I snuck wow. in to go see Jurassic Park. Well, you're not Park. 13 now. Would they still... Oh, now, you, now, now you could be a zygote and see that. This <laughs> is what kills me. You know, it's yeah. like, because I have people come up to me, like, well, my two-year-old loves you in Jurassic I'm like, what? <laughs> what are you letting a two-year-old see that for? You know, I mean... You know, I've seen... Um, Why does your two-year-old like this backstabbing computer programmer uh, who's just out for herself? I know. <laughs> I've I've been to the... Um, I've been to the the archives at uh, Skywalker Ranch where they have a lot of original everything, and they have the the original matte paintings from Star from Star Wars, wow. which are basically done on shower doors. So they got all these shower doors because they're the correct aspect ratio, and they painted. And so there's this there's basically it's it, it looks like the it looks Tatooine like, on a well, or, or like or like when they're with all the stormtroopers, you know, like and they're in the hangar and it's all the stormtroopers and and they well that was a matte. Yeah, and so they slide them out, and you see. I have pictures of it, and and you look at it, and you go, or like or like the Millennium Falcon, yeah. and you look at it, and you go, oh wow, that's a really nice painting. But there's something about the way that it's the way that it's painted to capture light that when you take a picture of it, and I'm never, I'm not allowed to post any of the pictures right. that I took there, but. When you look at it as a photograph, it fucking looks real. Right. But when you're looking at it in real life, it just it looks like a beautiful painting. But as soon as you ca- as soon as you snap a picture, it looks it looks like a real thing. I mean that kind of artistry, uh, and and it is you know like Jurassic Park or or even just like the original Warner Brothers cartoons when they were spending all the money. It's like yeah, it's not a surprise that you know because you get uh, what is it? You get quality time and money, and you're only ever ever allowed to have two of right, those things. Right. So if you spend a lot of money on something and you spend a lot of time on it, you know, then you're going to get then it's going to come out quality. But then you go to something like you know you never know like AI. You know, I mean, same director, same uh, you know possibility for it being a monumental, transformative kind of thing and. You know, you never know. Some stories resonate with people more than others, I guess. I'm I don't an know. AI supporter. I liked AI. A yeah, lot. I liked AI. Yeah, I did. It was like, it was long, but it was. I, I enjoyed the story of the little boy, the the reverse Pinocchio of it all. I'm trying to think, what did I see recently that was incredibly long? Oh yes, uh, uh, Boyhood. Oh, Interstellar. <laughs> <laughs> no, Boyhood was long because it's a person's life. <laughs> Jesus, come on. Well, I'm just saying. Come on, Boy- Ray. Jesus Christ. Boyhood was long. Boyhood was the longest movie well, I could I think did, of. Man, it took him so long to age. He did it in a span of a movie. I think that's pretty good. <laughs> Boyhood was quite an achievement, but it was one of those movies because of the way that it was made, where I would, I was going. You want more? Well. <laughs> I want him to die. <laughs> this isn't a whole life. <laughs> but because there was because there was no traditional act structure, I could not. I was basically in. I felt like I was in a, a, a deprivation chamber where I'm when, like. Have you seen the after the, the, the before midnight after midnight and the twenty minutes after midnight and midnight once again? It's midnight yeah. tomorrow night. All of those films have no act structure. So so, so you don't know where you're. You don't know where the halfway point is. So you're like. 
How long have we been in here? When is this? I have no no way of knowing. The only way I can gauge it was having seen uh, Ethan Hawke and the kid in interviews on Good Morning America. Oh, knowing how old they look now. That's how old he is, so I'm waiting for that. It's fascinating, though, the idea of just even pulling that off. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's what is more fascinating in some ways than anything. But all of his films have, like, a thing. There's always, like, like some hook of, like, some meta hook that's not, you know... So that, and then that that was a good one. That was a good one. Right, right, that right, took, right, that right. Took, that took some work. I didn't see Interstellar yet. Did you enjoy the length of that movie? Um, uh, um, um, you know, like some there are times when you can spend a very long time, uh, and and it resonates with you in mm-hmm. a way that you can remember it moment by moment. Yeah, there are yeah. times like that. I, uh, Not necessarily this one, but sure. there are times <laughs> sure. that that does happen. It's a very polite way of saying that. I was. Uh, I'm just realizing that we've almost kept you for an hour, and I just want to. And I haven't mentioned the X's, the show that I'm on. For God's sake, why would I come here to talk to you? <laughs> never, no, never. The X's on TV I'm Land on Wednesday night at ten thirty. Please, thank you. Say that again. I was talking over you. I'm I apologize. Uh, well, no, uh, the series that I'm doing is the X's, and it's on TV Land. It's at ten thirty on Wednesday nights, and um, and many things happen this year. Something transformative in the life of my character Haskell, which will make a giant change in him in the second part of the season. Oh, it's exciting. no spoilers! Wow, no spoilers. Did you uh, d- did you audition for Seinfeld just going through the regular audition channels, or did, had they seen you in something and asked you? No, I uh, like I came in. Uh, the part was, you know, they done he done an episode of Newman um, voicing it, but they didn't they didn't cast an actor. So now they're going to cast Newman, and they have this. And the uh, the episode was, um, you know, the Drake's cake thing. It's like, well, like, how long do you wait before hitting on the the girlfriend of a guy in a coma? <laughs> it was the big question. And uh, and so Jerry wants to hit on this, uh, you know, girl whose husband's in a coma, boyfriend's in a coma. I'm a friend of a boyfriend, and I'm the kind of building snitch. Mm-hmm. That was the premise of the character like he was the maybe the son of the landlord or something like that that's how he got an apartment and uh he buys me off with the drake's cake and that was and what happened was that i'm sitting there with michael and we looked like something out of a 1939 world's fair there's like a round thing and a needle you know and you're standing (laughs) side by side and you go these two look good together you know and uh and i just started coming back and it just was one of those serendipity Things we thought it was a one-off, and it turned out to be forty-five. Know, forty-five episodes. Forty-five episodes. Forty-five episodes. A dollar ten. It's an amazing <laughs> thing. Meanwhile, but it act- somebody but- has eight hundred ninety million dollars, but, but not me. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> but at some point, I mean, and that, did that just sort of organically? The relationship just organically develop. It it, it 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 developed, then it devolved, then it transmogrified. I mean, because originally we were working as a two, Michael and I working together, and then one day he says, "I don't want to do this anymore," um, and um, so I went away for a while, and then I came back as Jerry's nemesis. Right. So that that <laughs> that formulation would not have happened um, had it not because Michael's process is very particular. Very different from mine. Mine is more of an improv base and like wherever you are, find what's there yeah. and make funny. And his his is basically go in a corner 
and flagellate yourself for a while, <laughs> and then and then that have, doesn't sound fun. And then have Lotsey and moves and things that are all pre, kind of preordained that he knows what he's going to do. He likes to be very secure in what he's doing before he does it, and that's not necessarily a necessity for me. Was it a fun set? There were times when it was. I mean, there one. I mean, uh, I think the most fun you have as an actor is you sit down at a table and you go, "This is a riot." I, I just don't want to fuck this up. This right. is really, really good. And then when you do that every time you come, you go, shit, this is good stuff. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I've been on the other side of that where you go, yeah, this stinks. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. And so um, I, I think that what made that show, if not fun, at least um, um, elevated, was that it always felt like a Broadway opening. You know, you, you each time you did it, you knew that you're making an entrance, you're doing a thing. This is a great, this is a great joke. Let's not blow this joke. Let's get the timing right on the joke. If we do the entrance right, and if I do the thing right, and if it goes right, we're going to get the big yuck. You know, and eventually you get the big yuck anyway. Just like as you know, as a comic, you're pre you're pre sold. After a certain point, people are laughing regardless right. of whether or not it's funny. Then he just has to say Newman. and you Yeah, and then, then you have to fall back on integrity in your own ear and know when you're getting it right. But still, you want to you wanna get it right. And I mean, it is, it, that, 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 is a, that is a pretty incredible, you know, when you think about like, oh, that's like when Ralph Cramden would come in and then, uh, and then Norton would come in and then everyone would erupt with applause because that was the, you know. Yeah. I, mean, I, I think. I well, think we had to tell the audience, like, uh, you know, stop applauding, laughing on uh, Kramer entrances. It's blowing the moment. Oh, right? wow. Uh, and also, we would shape laughs narrow instead of to their actual dimension. That you'd come and do an entrance and they'd be like. <laughs> and then you'd see the show and it'd go. Because they don't have time for that laugh, you know? Right. I mean, there, there, there were like 100 pages to these 22-minute shows sometimes. You know, you're in scene double L or something like that. Wow. You know, so they had to keep it rolling. I mean, it was a different kind of idea that you're doing a lot of short scenes and bursts and going, you know, uh, which we don't do the same now, strangely. I mean, it's like they've never really effectively copied the technique of the show. Uh, Why do you think that is? Because I think it's hard to do. I think because it was a marriage of two philosophies that blended. It's like, you know, you enjoy Reese's peanut butter cups, you know, and you go, well, let's try a, a liver and a, and a potato chip. You know, it's like <laughs> it doesn't work. You know, uh, with, with Larry and Jerry, you had the observational side and the angst meeting each other. And so there was an observation and then the meaning of the observation and then another observation and then the meaning of that and then how that dovetails into this. And it becomes this cascade of contrapuntal things that's just funny. You know, right. I mean, they, they just were a funny duo uh, in terms of the way it was written. Well, also that sort of um, that, uh, that authenticity nugget of all the stories you know, growing out of something that happened to a right who's one of the writers. Yeah. You know, oh, this really happened to me, and then they develop it, and all of a sudden it's this sort of weird human experience. Yeah. Well, like I lived across the street from the soup Nazi uh, on Fifty Fifth Street. I mean, I actually 
you know, uh, Al Yevgeny or whatever when he, you uh, know, his soup man. Yeah, then when he, now he's the soup man and yeah. he's selling his stuff. But then it was International Soup Kitchen or whatever, and uh, uh, and you would get the little tiny thing of you know lobster bisque or something, and maybe bread, maybe not bread, and then that was you know what becomes of that thing. Come from me, it's just an observation that you know it actually occurred. And there are other things about Seinfeld, like we, they were never worried about product placement or getting clearance. They just do it. You know, no, I don't think anybody called Drake's Cakes. I don't think that anybody, they just use whatever product they, nobody said, we can't say Pez. Right. You know, they just did it. Right. And like, come get us. And then as the show becomes more and more popular, nobody comes and gets you. Right. Well, that, yeah, they don't do that now. No. You, you can't, everything has to be cleared. Every mention of every product. Yeah. I think that's just cable. You like, think so? I feel like network. You could, well, you mean you have you that uh, yourself sure. on? Uh, yeah, sure, 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 yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're also, you have to be careful. That's just lawyers, though. That's not real. Right. That's a construct that we've all bought into. Right. And we accept that they're going to sue. What was the last suit? Man. Show me the documentation of that suit. I don't know. You know, it's like... Uh, yeah, it is. Armstrong Linoleum in 1971 sued for, you know, okay, all right. But, well, um, I, you know, my. Sued Carol O'Connor. Yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> my, uh, my, my feeling with all that stuff is that uh, I just, I, I, I feel like I pick, I try to pick wise battles. So if they go like, well, you can't say this. If I feel like, if I feel like it, it's absolutely necessary for the thing we're doing, then I'll go, well, we really need it because of this. But if it's not, I'm like, all right, fine. Because right. it, it's just not worth it's just not worth arguing with a lawyer all the time. And, and they're pretty cool to us, but it, it's still, you know, it's just not worth going to battle every day over stuff that's, you know, mostly insignificant. Like, what right, is your man. standards and practices kind of situation in that context? I mean, uh... they're really cool to us. I mean, because we're on at midnight, we're, you know, they're, they're pretty loose. They're pretty loose with Do us. Do you find that as you become more popular, they've gotten looser? Um, we started off pretty loose. You know, you know what I find now is that I'm almost kind of. Uh, I think it might behoove us to self police a little bit because you know, le- left left to our own devices, Scary. left to our own devices. It's just like, oh, it's dick jokes and fuck this and fuck that and right. You know, eh, I mean, at a certain point. The, it just starts to get messy and muddy with all that. Well, it it, it takes the place of craft. It take it does. Yeah, yeah it's it's yeah. basically a smoke and mirrors, and it's and and a lot of times and it's tough too when you're doing when you're writing about the same sort of stuff. You get the same like this, you're, you're making jokes about the same things, and you're having to find different angles to take to have uh, a point of view for the show and for Chris to take, and it just it gets to be like a little. But I also know it's a lot of uh, acrobatics. Sometimes. But I also know that with that with my stand-up, I know that when I th- when I throw fuck into something, then if it's not absolutely necessary for that piece, I know that it's me being insecure about the right, right, integrity, right. like about the the. Uh, Suddenly, I'm Uncle Dirty. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's it's basically me saying like, oh, I'm not really, I'm not as confident with this joke, and so I do that to, you know, and so it's it's something that I think, but but they're. You know they're they're pretty they're pretty cool with us and and we get away with I think I mean I, I I can't think of many other shows that get away with the amount of stuff we get away with and the things that we say and yeah. it's only and there are very specific things that just aren't worth fighting for where they're like well you can't mention a specific porn yeah. site or we have right. to bleep come you have okay. to bleep yeah you have to bleep <laughs> go ahead 
<laughs> cum. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What but about jizz? Would that work? Jizz, you can, say. jizz you, can say. you can say. A lot of cum bleeping, though. Yeah. A lot of cum bleeping. And if uh, we write out jizz on, if you see it on the screen, we have to star out. You, you, can, put a star. you can't put jizz on the teleprompter. Jizz. You can't read. You you can't, can't it's ridiculous. Yeah. But, you know. Can we say spunk? Sure can, buddy. Spooge? Yeah. Spooge. I Man cream? Man cream's <laughs> totally fine. Man cream actually is a great title for a book <laughs> or uh, a Chicago... Wayne Knight's Man Cream. A Chicago-based uh, DJ. <laughs> man cream. <laughs> you just made a man cow reference. <laughs> that's amazing. Did you ever live in Chicago? No. Oh, that's really funny. That's really funny. I didn't yeah. either, but I just, just from doing, just from. Doing... I did a man cow, and, you know, I, I mean, I, I was in you Alaska. Must have done it. Yeah, 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 yeah. You must have done it. And I was frightened because, you know, they, they, they warn you, you know, be careful going in. The, it's like, going, I guess, going in the stern or something like that. You know, they're like, careful. They're nasty in there. You're like, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> well, I think, but my impression of being on stern, I've never acted. I called into Stern once years ago, but I've never actually been in Sue. My my impression is that they're probably actually really cool. They know how the show runs. They're yeah, pretty, yeah, yeah. Like it's all, you know. I, but I think there are some. I think there are some morning guys around the country though that uh, where you're like, oh, yeah, that guy's barely hanging on by a thread. And they're going to attack you just yeah. because there's nothing better to do. There's nothing better to do, and you know the and also the monotony of having to get up at three thirty every morning does take a toll on your psyche. After a while. Well, now, how do you, or like, I'll, I'll do, be on the other side of the couch. Please. Um, you know, you've kind of created this multi headed hydra of. Hail Hydra. Yeah, you know, popular person who. Well, how do you describe yourself now? I mean, what are you? I don't know. When people say, if, if someone doesn't know me and they go, what do you do? I go, I'm a comedian. You know, like I'm a stand-up, which is what I am. That That's what I was. That's what I always wanted to be. That's what I was. That's how I perceive myself even though i haven't been writing as much lately but 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 a lot of stuff that i do most of the things that i do were designed to put my voice into the world so people could decide if they wanted to come see me live and do you would you take a break and go back out and i do i I don't i just do it i i sandwich it in i'm 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 starting a tour i'm doing five dates in san francisco in a couple weeks and then in january when Talking Dead's not shooting, I'm going out and doing 16 weekends. So I just I just smush it in, and then it's you know two cities a weekend. Um, so I just do it because it's You're just you living know. Jay Leno's old life. <laughs> well, the the animal without the cars. The the, the, the animal is Louis <laughs> C.K. Who would that guy could be in prison and he'd figure out a way to sneak out and do sets like he. He would I, I'm I'm not so crazy. Like I did a set last night in L.A., but I won't do that five nights a week. In New York, you know, Louis would be riding on Conan, and he'd, when he wasn't supposed to, sneak out, do a set, and then get back. You wow. know, like he's just so. A, and, and like you, like you think he felt it was restorative to him, so that he could write. I feel like I feel like he. Well, my guess, knowing what I know of Louis, he probably felt like you cannot call yourself a stand-up unless you're doing stand-up every right, night of the week. Right, and also, right. he, I think, knew that it was good for his craft, and I think also it's the kind of thing. Where people go like, well, I don't know how you do stand-up. And it's like, well, I don't know if it's a choice. It's like it's just something that you're compelled to do for whatever broken reason you have. And so I think that's part of I think that's part of what it is. So when people ask me, I say, I'm a stand-up and I, you know, I started this thing and we make stuff. Like I I don't know how to I don't know how to describe it. I I make stuff and I get to host shows and I do stand-up. But see, you know, there's there's a certain degree of envy that I have for stand-ups in one sense, in that in that you start out as an entertainer. 
that you're not an actor. You're an entertainer who. Sure. So you can do almost anything and you don't besmirch yourself by doing it. You know, if you want to do a game show, you can. If sure. you want to do this, you can. If you want to host this, you can. You can do whatever you want. As an actor, you're like, well, I don't know. As an actor, <laughs> if I can do that, it would really be, it would, you know, it would. Sure. And I'm not this, sure that if that's true or not, or if it's just like something that actors tell themselves I don't think to that's, keep them out of work. I, I, don't I, don't that's, I don't think that's as true anymore as it used to be. I mean, you know, Jane Lynch hosts Hollywood Game Night. She's right. an actor. Like, it, it's not. There's so much crossover now. I think 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, it, it was. You know, it was like, yo, you're a host. You're a comedian. You're a movie person. You're a sitcom actor. You're I, a dramatic I, actor. I think the movie person thing is the hardest one to blend with the other things. Sure. I mean, um, that staying in that while doing the others is is harder in America. Yeah. Than it is in say Britain. You know, in Britain, you can do a Christmas pantomime, do a, a chat show, do a, a, a quiz show. Everyone, yeah, everyone does everything. Yeah, because it's a smaller pool, and so nobody judges you for any of that. I don't think there's as much judgment as you might think, and I certainly don't think there's as much judgment now. But I understand what you're saying, where stand-ups, stand, uh, stand-up, the base of it is almost more of a Swiss Army knife of like, uh, you know. But I also think that, I, I, I think it actually stand-ups... Don't get cast as just actors. As no, often. they get cast as themselves or as right. a funny guy. Because or, there know. are definitely not all stand-ups are great. I mean, you know, a, a lot of times you you see the you see the um... Paul Reiser. How did he pull that off? <laughs> well, because that that was kind of the Seinfeld. Like that was that came out. No, of but an... I mean, when he was doing like Aliens and stuff, like oh, right, right, right. Where did, How do you pull that off? I don't understand that. I, you know, I think he might have been. How'd Belzer get the, the the police gig? How'd that happen? Because someone was probably a fan of Belzer's, and okay. you know, like they had. But with we you know Paul Reiser, I, th- I my assumption is that he was a New York actor guy that also did stand up. Like right. the, I think there were a couple that, but you know, you you usually see the div- you usually see the crossroads when early on in someone's comedy development, are they a sketch person or are they a stand up person? Right. And sketch people tend to not like to be themselves on right. stage, and stand ups tend to not like to be other people on stage. Right. So I think a lot of it depends on. Where you like your creative responsibility to lie. Personally, I like to be responsible for everything I say, not as a character. Because I, I always just feel like, well, you know it's me. All right? It's but me. I think that's astute. And I think that's why Chris Rock didn't do as well on SNL as he could have. Boy, that was um, such a, you know, for people who don't really understand, you know, when you think we go Chris Rock, of course, is in the pantheon. Like he's in the Mount Rushmore. Of right, right, right. But he did flail quite yeah. a bit on SNL. Yeah. And which made Bring the Pain a couple years after SNL such an explosive, like, holy fuck, where was that guy, you know? And just sort of realizing, oh, not every form of comedy suits every performer. Right. You know? Um, So, yeah, I think some people like to be themselves and other people are like, you know, like someone is a great character person. But you sit them down and talk to them one on one, or you put them up on stage where they have to present an award or be themselves, and they just don't know who they're not comfortable. I'm very interested to see what's going to happen uh, with James Corden. Oh yeah, uh, that that to me is 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 an interesting experiment. I think he'll be good. I mean, he's 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 a well, he's I've seen him be riotously funny. Yeah, in texted material, 
you know, I don't know. How's I've never, it going to be? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it's a, it's a good, uh, you know, it's a risk. We'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, but I, I'm rooting for him because I, I think he's, you know, I saw him on stage in New York. And I used to watch him in British stuff and whatever, hosting with his former partner or whatever. And I, I, I think he's a funny guy. Well, I think we can never underestimate the power of uh, a smirk and some wry British charm. Like, the accent... You know, the accent alone, people are like, oh, say more, you know, and then the fact that he's funny, you know, I, I think it'll, I think it'll, I think it'll probably work. I mean, it's tough. Late night is such a weird, uh, you know, if we yeah, were, you've discovered, I mean, whether you knew, whether you crafted it or it happened, the tone for late night is very significant of how to have an irreverent playfulness that allows you to go anywhere you want to go. That, you know, I mean, that as, as an audience member, you want to come to a show and feel like, oh, I might go somewhere I don't expect. Sure. And that is part of the late night feeling. It's hard, though. I mean, like, just because audiences are so splintered, um, late night shows, you know, I mean, l- uh, morning and late night are challenging because you're basically trying to break into someone's ritual. Right. You know, and so it's not it's like, what do I do before I go to bed or what do I do first thing when I get up in the morning? And, and I feel like morning shows, morning radio, late night shows are difficult because Very intimate. You, have to, you have to sort of earn your place into someone's like, this is what I do every night before I go to bed. Because that, those are the times where people like to feel the most familiar with their programming. So I do think. you feel like it has to be codified into a kind of a... Like we've got to, we can't change this too much because if we do, we're going to blow. No, I feel like I feel like it's at a point where they should try to change it, and I think any success that At Midnight had was because it was different. You know, it was a different way to present material, and so when I see a late night, when I see a new late night show, and it's like, no, don't do the monologue. Don't you don't have to do it. You know, like I know everyone else does a monologue there. Do do do, to fucking mix it up. You know, like people can see monologues. I mean, ultimately. It does boil down to the strength of the point of view of the person presenting the material. And if someone – if they have a strong enough point of view, that's ultimately what people will gravitate toward. You know, People love Ferguson's approach because he tore up the cards and he would just – he spoke like a person and he sort right. of broke the format. And he actually spoke to people. He talked to people. Which was, was frightening to and, people. And so <laughs> you know, that, that, was, that was his thing. And, but, it, but it's very difficult to – you know, like, ah, you know – I, I I'm British, but here I am, another white guy, and in, uh, in this late night lineup of 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 white dudes, how, how is my take going to be different than there? You know, so I don't know. I don't know. It's very interesting to see somebody. You know, I mean, as the idea of walking away from these things, sure, is very interesting. Yeah, uh, I, I think, find that. Um, I think the you know, I think it does. Um. Our show's really easy for me to do every day because it, the structure is ultimately s- similar to the night before and the content's refillable and the comics are different. But having to do – like I, I am genuinely uh, – and we p- sort of play with Fallon in terms of like, oh, he's basically doing uh, slime time you know, every night, like a karaoke. But to, to basically do a, that type of variety show every day, I don't know how that doesn't melt your fucking brain. Yeah. Because that's – 
you know, having, so much effort, so much, so effort. much effort, so many games and so much like singing and dancing. And you've so got much. to participate in all of that. Yes. Jazz. Yes. And you have to, you have to not only be engaged in your guests, whatever the fuck that is that they're and trying to force rub, them to do it, force them to do it. <laughs> then also carry the, carry the, if they're, you know, cause not everyone's a great guest and you know, like it's a, that type of late night show feels like it would, it would drive you kind of crazy. Yeah. But then, you know, what I'd like to do is just cut to five years from now. Right. And see what that show is like. Yeah, who knows? I don't know how you do it. It's you know, uh, even super sloppier celebrity double dare. <laughs> but, you know, because when you look at the Carson show, uh, I look at the original Tonight Show back in the 60s, then into the 70s, and then what happens as you age and go, ah, fuck it, I don't want right. I'm not doing that anymore. Yeah. I'm not doing that Ann Blabby shit anymore. I'm yeah. not doing this anymore. And Letterman, too, as he, you know, these different things that he did while young and that you just... You can't you do get it. Tired. You get tired. Well, and also, I think the older you get, I mean, when you're yo- when you're younger, you're super hungry for that thing you want, whether it's you know notoriety or the audience's approval or I got to be the funniest. I got to do. And I think as people get older, it's like I don't give a shit. You know, like the when they genuinely, as people, don't fucking care anymore. I think that's where it. That's where the comedy part dips because you need a little bit That's of. That's when Al Roker started getting good. <laughs> <laughs> like, but fuck the weather. You know, but, you're there, we're talking Al. But even, you know, like you look at, uh, like, you know, Joan Rivers until the day that she died, which sucked a lot. Yeah, God, oh um, it was still like every day was super hungry. Even I mean, look, look, you know, writing jokes about people she didn't even know who they were five minutes ago. Right. You, you know, you're like, what does she do? And then you write a joke about it. And uh, it is pretty amazing. I think that hunger it. and that, that, that curiosity and that drive to, you know, and we've had a few people on the show who are older who have that. And you're like, oh, that's why you still, you know, are excited and make stuff. But then, you know, I think that's what can happen with comics is that you need that fire. You know, you need that fire to... to you know, that makes you leave your job and go do a set and come back to your job or tour when you don't really have the time because you, you know, the older you're like, I don't, how much more money do I need? How much, att- I don't need attention. I don't, I've got it. I have enough. You know, people just get tired. I think they just get tired. No, so in other words, you think this is an outgrowth of stand up for real. I mean, not just like you do stand up and then to get you to this stuff. This is stand-up. It's just another form of... You mean like podcasting and everything? I mean all of it. I mean the idea that, that what you're, you know, you're, you're, you're still observing about things. Sure, yeah. Just and, through... and so you've got shit to say that you don't even know you've got to say. Sure. And, and it keeps you from backing up. Yeah, it's all, it's all part of the same. I mean it's, it, the different mediums express it differently and the responses are different in different ways. But ultimately it's the same mechanism, you know. It's the same. It's just like, well, on this show, the jokes come out through this structure. And in stand-up, they come out this way. And in this podcast format, this is how they come out. And they're all different but complementary. Our last serious question. Yes. I'll leave you. All right. Uh, so in terms of stand-up, when you're crafting mm-hmm. and you're you – know, uh, in Seinfeld's uh, lexicon of how you craft words and pauses and commas and, you know – over and over and again until you get it just right and just right and just right. So you're crafting jokes that play for you gangbusters one night, not the next, and you learn, okay, then I don't do this and I do that. Then you're in this, which is very disposable. Mm -hmm. What's coming out of your mouth leaves and you leave. Right. And that happens on a daily basis. Sure. So does that infect your stand-up? 
infect it in in, in in a negative way. No, I haven't found it to. As a matter of fact, I think the 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 more other work I've done, Makes especially with podcasts, fastful. has made me more comfortable and has actually helped me get to understand myself better, which is which has helped me with stand up. Because now my like what your point of view is my point more, of view is now clear. a lot more personal than it used to be because I used to just write about other things and now I kind of have a better understanding of myself so I'm sort of writing more about. Oh, you about actually myself. believe you're interesting? <laughs> I see. I'm, now I'm you're using your point people. of view. I'm trying to convince people if I can trick them into thinking that. <laughs> but you know, it's um, uh, learning how to get to a point. You know, and 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 understand through talking really fast how to come at that in a bunch of different ways has actually really helped stand up because I understand my nat- my rhythms more now. Right. So I'm more likely now on stage to get laughs if I'm just describing something the way I naturally would as opposed to five or eight years ago or ten years ago where I would have been like, how do I make this thing funny? Like now I feel like there's more of a – I understand the, the, the mechanisms just a little bit no, more I get evolved. Than it used to be. Like Louis, um, I opened for him. Oh, probably in 2007 in two, uh, Phoenix, Tempe, and uh, he went up on stage and for the first, uh, basically, he did like 20 minutes of material that I hadn't heard in the previous shows. And afterwards, he was like, "Yeah, I just riffed the first 20 minutes. Just want to see how far I could take it." And it all sounded like written stand-up. Because his machine was becoming so refined right. that, he, that the, just the way that he was expressing ideas on stage just sounded like stand-up. And it, the jokes basically just fell into line as he was talking, even though he didn't really know what was going to come out of his mouth next. Because that was – I mean like that's – you know when you can really become like a hay baler where it's just like chunk, 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 and then like that's – I think that's a good place to, to strive What if for. more Amsterdam were actually funny? <laughs> <laughs> hey, what are you talking about? That's right. What are you guys? <laughs> Who else used to walk through, you know, walk through a house and like, give me any topic? Any topic. What do you want? <laughs> Anything. What do you think? Right now. So, uh, yeah, so I don't know. And maybe, who knows? Maybe you'll try to stand up at some point. You know, I'm, I'm, people have tried. Uh, I mean, I've had people recently say, you know, it's time. You should, you should force yourself to uh, live a life or die. Right. You know, because I think that that's what I get when I talk to stand-ups. It's like, you know, don't be afraid of it because you, bombing is part of it. Of this course. is what you do in order to, you know, it's like playing guitar. If you can't get through the callous period, you're never going to play. Well, and, the, and, and when you're in a play or you're in a sketch, if something bombs, you're stuck in that construct. Right. But when you're, when you're doing stand-up, you can make a quick left or right turn or you can talk to someone and they, like, you're free... It's, I, f- I find it to be way more freeing than stuck in something that you're like, well, they didn't like the first 10 minutes of this, but there's 80 more minutes, you know, right. so it, uh, of whatever this play or whatever this sketch show is. So I think it's I, – I, 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 to me, it feels less risky in that, in that, from that point. Well, I've had that you know, conversation where sometimes somebody feels more secure in an arena right. than they do in a room. Oh, yeah. No, I'm that way, too. Like, I can get weird when there's just a couple people in a room where it's like, I don't know how to – I don't know what to say, you know. But podcasting has actually made me more comfortable just because now I can – now I can talk to pretty much anybody and I feel okay. And I was not that way before. And, you know, I don't get the sense that you are broadcasting. I get the sense that we're having a conversation and you're broadcasting. Well, we lure you into that false sense. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I I, I mean, but that's the idea of when it works, one would hope – 
that, you know, you are having a conversation that is heightened because you're trying to make it interesting. Well, but I think there's also, you know, I think you have this idea when you're a young performer of like, well, I'm me and this, this is the performance me and they're separate right, and I have not. to be presentational. And I think the better you get, the, the closer those two things become until ultimately you're just yourself. Because it's very hard to think of yourself as the thing that is working. Like, no, it's not, I'm not. Tell I'm not that interested. to Marcel Marceau, my friend. <laughs> I don't think it works for up. him. Come on. <laughs> Pulling that rope, that guy. I don't know. Now yeah, dig up Shields and Yarnell. They're dead, right? <laughs> what a reference. <laughs> hey. What a pull. Listen, oh, my God. That, that would, I would have thought that was outside your demographic. The only uh, uh, only mime I was ever hot for. You spend, you spend a year and a half in a writer's room with Blaine Capatch. Oh, yeah, yeah, Blaine. Yeah, Blaine. You'll get enough Shields and Yarnell. Today we got a Hardcastle and McCormick reference. Uh, Holy Lord. mackerel. I know. He was really digging deep. But... Um, <laughs> But the X's is on. Uh, the X's is on on uh, on Wednesday nights after uh, Hot in Cleveland, which is in its uh, farewell tour. Yeah. Uh, this season, I was shocked to hear how many episodes of that show had been done. It was an exorbitant amount of episodes for. Well, Hot they in were Cleveland. pumping them, pumping them, pumping them. I'm <laughs> telling you, <laughs> there's they're Betty Betty White. They just like what a workhorse. Well, you know, uh, uh, well, a workhorse in more ways than you know because I know uh, her agent very well, Jeff Witches, and and he rides her back time. several times. Several a times a day, yeah. And she's like, come on, you old, come on. You know, she's like, please, I'd like to stop. I know, Jeff. <laughs> Tell Jeff I said hi. This was a great. Uh, this was a great chat with you. Are you on social media anywhere that people can? Poke I, at you? I'm on. Uh, I'm on Twitter, but I, uh, you know, I barely respond. Um, that's not true. I, I will respond, but in my own way. In your own by way. By just speaking in generic terms about things I'm doing. So. Uh... <laughs> and uh, on the other hand, uh, Wayne is getting background information on you, and uh, <laughs> yes, uh, Wayne Knight Rider will be in theaters uh, Christmas of 2016. Yes. If I yes. say that, it might then maybe we maybe we'll manifest. Tiddling, 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 yes. <laughs> Good to see you, man. Thanks. Enjoy Good your beer, everyone. Now leaving nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. Enhance your listening experience with Wondry Plus. Enjoy ad-free listening, exclusive content, binges, and more. Join Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or on Apple Podcasts.